Good evening. It is good to see each of you. It has been a wonderful day, and uh, it's a wonderful time to be together this evening at the close of the day to worship God. If you would be opening your Bibles to Mark the 10th chapter. When we think about the many ways that God has blesses, that God has blessed us through the years, I think about one of those ways being the opportunities that he has allowed us to share in relationship with so many people on campaigns throughout the year. You know, when, when you think about it, uh, for several years now, we've done at least five campaigns a year. Now, I really don't know if we've done that for 10 years, but it would be close. So let's just say over the last 10 years as a church family, we've been a part of about 50 campaigns. This year, the additional campaign to Brazil and then also to Africa, uh, to Tanzania, will possibly be up to seven campaigns this year. And in that, God's allowed us to meet a lot of people and to love a lot of people and have the opportunity to pray for a lot of people. And I want to mention to you tonight that Mary Griffith is a lady that we met on a stateside door-knocking campaign in Chattanooga several years ago. Dolene Laster, Annie Smith, probably another couple of ladies have kept in touch with her all throughout the years. Uh, we saw her baptized into Christ and we have seen her loved by a local church family there, but also by this family. Occasionally throughout the years, she would come and visit here and she loves visiting this congregation because there are some in this congregation that have continually loved her uh, from the time that she became a Christian. She sent Annie uh, an email or a phone call. I'm not for sure how it came, but just in the last few days, and, and Miss Mary said that, that uh, she's having a lot of health issues right now, and uh, she's having some family problems right now. And she said, I've asked my church family to pray, but she said, I would really love for the Mount Juliet church family to pray for me also. And so let, let's begin this time in, in prayer for her. And uh, also, uh, if there are others on your heart and in your mind that you have met through mission work, we know some have come back from, from trips just as, as few as 24 hours ago. Uh, I want to encourage you to continue praying. And in your own mind and in your own prayer right now would be a good time to pray for them. Let's bow. Our most gracious God, you bless us richly with the opportunity to be a part of your family and we thank you from the depth of our being. You bless us richly with the opportunity to be a part of your mission. And God, we don't fully understand why something so important uh, that you put upon our shoulders and you trust us. And God, we pray that we're always faithful stewards of your great commission. We pray that we love you and we pray that we love your gospel enough that we would go around the world and tell people who you are and what you've done for them, and that you're their savior. And God, we are thankful that years ago you allowed our paths to cross with Miss Mary Griffith, and at that time, and even ever since, she has been a great encouragement to us. And God, we ask that you bless our sister. We ask that whatever physical struggles that she's going through with her health, we would pray that your will would be done and we know that you're the great physician and we pray that her faith would be strong in the midst of this. And God, whatever struggles that she's having with uh, family members or family members in the family are having with each other or, or with life, uh, God, we don't know, but you know. 
And we pray that you bless her and her family and that they would be strong and faithful. And we pray that our sister Mary would be faithful through all that. God, we think about the work in South Sudan in El Salvador and seeds that have just been planted this past week. And we pray, God, that great good, eternal good, would come out of these efforts. God, we pray for the teams that are being formed for trips later on this year to El Salvador, to Africa, Brazil. And God, we pray that people would go that would truly have a heart for you and for spreading your gospel. And that people would go that would be willing to sacrifice and invest their all for your cause. And as those people go, we pray that you open doors. We pray that you open hearts. And we pray that much good would continue to be done. God, we pray for ourselves as we're about to open your word. Our prayer is that we'll have open eyes that we'll see. And that if you say it, we'll believe it. And we'll walk by faith and not by sight. And God, tonight we have a challenging topic. And we pray that we truly will believe. And through your son's name we pray. Amen. Mark the 10th chapter, we hear the words, this one thing you lack. (laughs) Out of context, you might wonder, well, what is the one thing that you lack? Is it that if you just do this, you finished your to-do list for the weekend? If, if you finish this, you, you finished out your portfolio for retirement. If you do this one thing, you have your vacation lined up for this summer. What, what is the one thing that you lack? Can you imagine someone saying there's one thing that you like? In other words, it's just one. Just one thing that you like. And then you say, okay, well, if, if that is just one thing, What is it that if I do it, this will be accomplished? It's not a new car. It's not a vacation. It's it's not a, a retirement plan. It's eternal life. Jesus was literally looking at this young, rich ruler, and he was saying, you're so close, but yet you're not there. You're so close. All you lack is this one thing to have eternal life, but you don't have it now. And then we say, well, what would that one thing be? And granted, through Americans' eyes, we would probably read this story and say, oh, that one thing was pretty big. You realize that many, many people around the world would read this and they would say, well, if the Lord asked me to do that, that'd be no problem at all. I I don't have hardly anything. And if the Lord wanted me to sell it, I would kind of have the same thing tomorrow as I have today. And it's not much. It's not anything. But you see, as Americans, compared to the world, we're wealthy. And we, perhaps better than some cultures, understand how tough this commandment is to sell all that you have. I want you to notice that in this text in Mark the 10th chapter, everything keeps going back to eternal life, following Jesus, 
in ridding ourselves of any distractions. We're going to see three scenes. And one scene is, is where Jesus is looking at the rich young ruler. The next scene is when he finishes up with him, he looks around to the disciples. And then the next scene is where Peter says, hey, Jesus, you see us? We've done what you've said. And let's see what we can learn from this. And you see as we study God's holy word what you can apply to your life so that when we finish this, we all have taken a step closer to God this evening. Look, if you will, in the 10th chapter, and we begin this paragraph in verse 17. And this man came running and knelt before Jesus, and he asked him, good teacher, what shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? I've been preaching 34 years. That's kind of weird for me to say because I really, in my mind, don't necessarily see myself older than 34, except when it's morning and I feel like I'm like 84. But, but you know, and I look and I think about the thousands of times that I, I've, I've preached or taught lessons. I can honestly say to you, I don't remember ever once somebody coming and running up to me and saying, I want to hear what you've got to say. I want to hear what you've got to say. Can you imagine the enthusiasm of this young man? as he sees Jesus and he goes running up to him and then notice the sincerity when he kneels before him in great respect and great earnest. He runs, he kneels. I've just got a question. I've got a question. What, what can I do to have eternal life? And notice Jesus begins with him on a common ground. In other words, Jesus is going to know that, that this man does this right. Look at 19. He says, you know the commandments. And he deals with the part of the Decalogue that deals with man's relationship with man. And he says, you know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Don't murder. Don't steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not defraud. Honor your father and your mother. And this young man was able to answer and say, teacher, all these things I've kept from my youth. You see, he really was a devout and a sincere and a religious man. In other words, there were so many things that this young man was doing right that Jesus could have given list after list after list of the commandments. And this man apparently lived such a life devoted to religion that this man could, or Jesus could say of this man, you know, you're telling the truth. You really are doing those things. But then notice when Jesus goes forward in 21, he says, Jesus looking at him, loved him, and said to him, one thing you lack. Go your way, sell whatever you have, and give it to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come, take up the cross, and follow me. But he was sad at this word, and he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. The verbal here is very strong. You're right, young man. The laws that have to do with you toward others, you do them so well. But I want you for just a moment, I want you to think about what about you and God? And Jesus knows man's hearts as easily as he can see the outward of man. He can see the heart of man. And he looks into his heart and he says, you know, I only see one thing that's hindering your relationship with God. 
And he says it's, it's the, the importance of your riches to you. For you, young man, your riches are a distraction. And because of that reason, it will become a sin. You remember Romans, the 12th chapter, verse 1 and 2? We've had that Romans, the 11th chapter, the great hall of faith. And then we come to the 12th chapter, verse 1 and 2. And he tells us that, verse 2, he's talking about putting your eyes upon Jesus and running towards Jesus. But back up in verse 1, he says that we have to lay down every weight and every sin that so easily besets us. Some things in their very nature are sinful. And if we do them, they have to be laid aside. Other things in their nature are not sinful, but we allow them to take precedent or a higher priority in our heart and life than God. Now, do you hear that? I know that's not complicated, but I want us to meditate upon that. In other words, I want us to take that with us this week. I want to evaluate my life. You evaluate your life. Are there things that in themselves, they just are not sinful? But have they become a priority in your life so much so that if God were going to say, and, and in this example, let's say Jesus, if Jesus was going to walk this earth and he was going to look at us and love us and he was going to say, let me tell you the one thing you like, what would be that one thing that he say, you love that more than you love God. You're more devoted to that than you are to God. Would it be a person? Would it be a thing? Would it be a possession? Would it be something as broad as money, power, popularity? Is there one thing in your category of life as it was for this man? You see, the words were very bold, very strong, very clear. But did you notice the nonverbal? I don't know how many times I read this passage before I realized those two phrases together in 21. Then Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him, how much different is it when someone looks you right in the eye and tells you something difficult to hear? And when they're looking you right in the eye, you also know by the way they're looking at you that they love you. Jesus isn't looking at this man in a hateful type of way. He's not looking at this man that, so there's anything about his nonverbal communication that would be a turnoff. In other words, he looked at him. He loved him. And he said to him, I may have shared this with you back years ago, but isn't it amazing sometimes how, how we get excited about people looking at us? Please don't get political with me, okay? I'm just giving you an example, okay? My mom, my mom loved George W., okay? If you hate George W., don't, don't throw the sermon away, okay? And my mom loved George W., and so he was, he was speaking at a benefit uh, dinner at Fried Hardeman, and so we went, I knew when I saw that, I said, I, we're going to be going to that. Mom loves George W. And, and, and I was glad to go to it. I, I, I did. I was, I was glad to go. And so, so we're, we are, uh, before the, the auditorium and the delivery, uh, there's a meal that's served. And the meal is, is in a gymnasium that's kind of turned into a banquet setting. And, and there's a walking track above it. Uh, there at Fried Hardeman. And, and so we're all down there and everybody's on the floor eating and milling. And so all the attention is down on floor level. And, and 
I just happened to look over and I saw guys in suits come in. And, and so my thought was, hey, that, that might be sacred service. How, how cool would it be if, if uh, President Bush walks through? And, and so they, they kind of walk through and then come back. And so I'm just kind of watching just to see what's going on. And then a few, just a few minutes, a few seconds after that, they walk back in. And, and this time there's like two of them. And then behind them is, is uh, President Bush. And the interesting thing was that, that like, it, it seemed like that most people on the floor didn't see him. And so he walks in and then he starts around the track. And what he's going to end up doing is going to the other side and walking out the door. He wasn't coming in at that time to address this audience. And, and so he's walking and, and I'm thinking, this is so strange, like nobody's seeing him. And, and he gets down to this side of the track and finally I was like, mom, right there's your guy. And, and, uh, and, and so, I th- and then I thought to myself, and I, you know, you can think this is weird. I, I understand I'm kind of weird. I thought, how rude is it for this guy to be in the South and then walk through a room and nobody acknowledge him and he's president? You know, I thought, I thought we got to do something about that. So I just stood up and I began clapping, you know. And of course, everybody looked at me like I was crazy at first. And, 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 then, and then, but I'm looking at him. And so it doesn't take but just a few seconds and, and you see other people stand up. Well, about that time as the applause starts, He's walking down, and when the applause starts, he stops. I kid you not. He puts his hand up, and he kind of leans over, and he looks my mother right in the eyes. And he doesn't take his eye, like, I mean, for a while, for like five seconds. He looks at her, and he smiles at her, and he waves at her, and then he turns to the whole crowd. And, and so once he walks out the door, she turned around and said, he looks right at me. And, and at the same time she was saying that, I was interrupting her, and I was like, Mom, he looks right at you. What's so big about that? There's something meaningful. When somebody looks at you like they care. Can you imagine Jesus Christ looking at you? Loving you? And saying to you right now, There's one thing you lack. Would you be willing to listen and say, Lord, I I can lay that down if, if that's what you want me to do. That's what this young man experienced and what he needed to lay down was his wealth, not because wealth is bad, but because he allowed his wealth to distract him from God. We saw that his response, at least at this point in time in his life, was he was not willing to do that. And he walked away very sorrowful because he knew that he was walking away not only from request of Jesus, but he was walking away from eternal life because that's what all of this conversation was based upon of what do I need to do to have eternal life? Well, Jesus then used this opportunity because you can imagine disciples standing around listening to this As a matter of fact, one reason why we're studying this twice, we're about to see in this next paragraph, they were astonished. In other words, this was teaching that kind of distinguished it. It was kind of set apart, kind of like marvel here. And and so notice in verse 23, then Jesus looked around. He looked around and he said to his disciples, how hard is it for those who have riches to enter the kingdom of God? And the disciples were astonished at his words. But Jesus answered again and said to them, children, how hard is it for those who, now here's, here's the real key, for those who trust in riches to enter the kingdom of God. 
And then he gives an illustration. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. And they were greatly astonished, saying among themselves, who then can be saved? And Jesus looked at them and he said, with men it is impossible, but not with God. For with God, all things are possible. The message is, is so clear, but it's so challenging that twice they were astonished. Hey, hey, let me warn you that it is difficult for rich individuals to be saved. I'm astonished, Lord, that, that you would say that. Can you please help me to understand that? He says, well, it's because of this. It's so easy for rich individuals to trust in their riches. You know that's the case. I'm not saying you do it. But if you'll be honest with yourself, you know it's easy to trust in your riches. You take an individual that has wealth, they have seen what money can do. And you better believe on this earth, money is powerful. Money can not only open doors, money can buy doors. Money can not only move people, there's some people you can buy with money. Money not only will bring some degree of a sense of security, there's a sense that you can buy a sense of security with money. Now, I'm not saying it's eternal security or that it's genuine or infallible. I'm just saying to you that we're not being honest with ourselves if we don't realize the power that comes along with money and then you say to that person that is accustomed to that power, hey, don't trust in that money. Well, that's kind of hard to do. And he says, that's why it's hard for a rich man to go to heaven because it's hard for them not to trust in their money. Well, what should we trust in? We trust in God. Think, think about the man or the woman tonight that's going to pillow their head on the bed and they're going to be able to reflect and say, you know what? We've got a fair amount put back for retirement. Things are good there. And you know what? For our kids' education, we already have a decent college fund set up or for our grandchildren. And you know what? For, for incidentals and, and kind of that emergency fund, we, we have more put back there than what we ever expected that we would. We've got a nice portfolio of investments. You know what? I, I can rest pretty easy tonight. Now, do you really believe you can rest easy tonight because of the money you have? You can only rest easy tonight based on the condition of your soul. What's your relationship with God? Would God say to you right now, oh, there's one thing you lack. If God would say to you, there's one thing you lack, you shouldn't be putting any trust in any of these other things because your money on the day of judgment is not going to pay for the one thing you lack. And yet it's so easy. Think about that guy. Let's go back to that same scenario. Think about the guy that's pilling his head tonight and, and, and he's thinking, oh, everything's good, everything's good. And God would say, hey, hey, if everything's so good, what are you doing to get your children to heaven? How much time have you spent this past week helping them learn the gospel? How much have you helped them focus toward eternity? How much have you helped your, your spouse? What kind of influence have you been on your neighbor? 
You see, when we really have a clear perspective, as much good as some money can do, it is nothing compared to the big picture of trusting in God. Money is just one of the tools that God gives us as a resource to use to trust Him, to serve Him, in that sense, to use as a benefit for the kingdom. Now notice, they were greatly astonished in 26 because he said in 25 it was easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. There's been all kind of explanations given in commentaries how, how there was a, a place where there were two boulders and it was real narrow and it was hard to get the camel through those areas and they would say, yeah, that, that's what he's talking about, how hard it is. Well, if that's what he was talking about, why were the, was the response of the disciples greatly astonished? Have you tried to thread a needle lately? Dolene Lasseter? We were, we were uh, I was passing through downstairs a, a few, a week or so ago, and, and there were several ladies working with the teddy bear ministry. And, and Darlene is there, she's trying to get that, that needle. And I passed through, and, and we got to laughing at, at her trying and, and couldn't get it through. And finally, I was like, let, let me try to do that. And of course, I didn't have my glasses with me, and so that was a hopeless case. And, and I, I'm, I'm, you know trying to get the thread thinned down and I'm trying to see to get it through. And, and finally, Susie Taller just takes it and pops it right through there. I'm like, how do you do that? Listen, it's hard for me to put a thread through the eye of a needle. Now you imagine getting a camel through the eye of a needle. It'd be hard enough to get the eyelash of a camel through the eye of a needle. That's why they were greatly astonished. Wait, 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 that, that sounds impossible. Well, now that matches the language that Jesus used because then they turned around in their astonishment and said, who then can be saved in 26? And remember what he said in 27? With men, it is impossible, but not with God. For with God, all things are possible. Listen, it doesn't matter if we're rich or poor. We're not gonna get to heaven based on our own merit. It doesn't matter how wealthy you are. You put your trust in your riches and it will not get you to heaven. You're used to your money doing a lot of things for you. You trust in it, it will not get you to heaven. Well, the poor man's not gonna get to heaven any other way. Same way the rich man's gonna get to heaven, the poor man's gonna get to heaven, how's that? By the grace of God. That's the only way, not on man's merit, but on God's grace. It's impossible for men. Now you gotta love Peter. And this is one of those times where Peter's putting two plus two together and he's kind of getting excited. He's saying, oh, wait, wait a minute, wait a minute. We heard you tell the rich man to sell what he has and give to the poor. And we heard you say that it's really hard for a rich person to get to heaven and somebody trusts. Wait a minute, wait a minute, Lord. That, look, look, look at us. See in 28, Peter again, Begin to say to him, see, we have left all and followed you. So Jesus answered and said, assuredly, I say to you, there's no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or fathers or mothers or wives or children or lands for my sake and the gospels who shall not receive a hundredfold now in this time 
houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions and in the age to come, eternal life. See, the topic never leaves eternal life all through these paragraphs. But many who are first will be last and the last first. Notice as you look here, Peter's saying in 28, we have done that. And so Jesus in verse 29, but what I want you especially to notice in 30 is he says, let's talk about two time periods. Now at this time and in the time to come. And what he's saying is if you will be willing to sacrifice everything for me, I will go ahead and start giving you a hundredfold reward now and in the time to come. And he brings out three things that really is brought out throughout the Gospels. Luke, the 14th chapter, mentions these very same three things when he talks about those individuals that made excuses. And he says, possessions. Would you be willing to give up your possessions to put God first? And here he mentions houses. Then he mentions people. And in this list, he mentions a lot of family members if your family was coming between you and your relationship with God, would you be willing to put God before your family? It doesn't mean you stop being the family member you ought to be to them, but you don't turn your back on God because that's what they want you to do. And then he mentions property, land, fields, some translations would say. And then he brings out the fact that if we're willing to give up all in order to serve him, it will be repaid to us a hundredfold. Now, I don't think it's wise to understand this. You can study through it for yourself and see what you think the proper application of this is. But I don't think he's saying apples to apples. In other words, right now, if there was some kind of persecution and you lost your house right here in Mount Juliet because you were a follower of Jesus Christ, that if you lost your house sometime over the next few weeks or months or years or decades, God's going to return your house 100-fold. Well, let's just say that easy figuring right now in Mount Juliet, a lot of houses are worth 300,000. I know there's a lot worth a lot more than that and some less than that, but let's just say 300,000. And so if you lost your house for that, that somewhere in the future, God is going to repay you $30 million in houses. I don't think that's what he was saying to them. It wasn't apples to apples, but the idea that you would be repaid a hundredfold is definitely so. Whatever you give up on this earth, God's gonna make sure that you are taken care of now and even in abundance. But what is waiting for you in eternity will be far more than a hundredfold. Think about the individuals that really do have to give up their family in order to serve God because their family totally turns their back on them because they're Christians. They come into God's family and they have not only hundreds of brothers and sisters, but thousands. And think about right now, if you lost your house because of persecution, do you realize how many people would be offering you a place to stay tonight? You wouldn't just have one house to sleep in tonight, you would probably have hundreds of houses to sleep in. What is Jesus trying to say? 
Who are you going to trust? Are you going to put your trust in God that He can provide and that He can work all things out? Or do you really think that it's all up to you and the accounts or the investments that you have? We need to be wise stewards. And we need to do good with all that God has given us. And whether our amount that we have is considered wealth or middle class or even poverty, the point is no matter where that is, can you trust God instead of trusting in something else? In other words, if Jesus looked at you tonight loving you and said to you, there's one thing you lack. Would you tonight say, yes, sir, Lord. I'll take care of that right now. I love and I want to extend the invitation with that phrase. If you still have your Bible open, look back in 21. When he told that young man to sell whatever he had and give it to the poor, you'll have treasure in heaven. And then he says, come, take up the cross and follow me. You know, we have said many times that taking up the cross is self-denial. Remember another occasion in Matthew 16, Jesus said, if any man will come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. You see that self-denial there? In other words, this young man trusted in the riches and the idea was, will you just crucify your self-will? Young man, what do you want right now? And he said, I just really want my wealth and I want to trust in it. And he's saying, okay, I see, that's where you are in the flesh. Are you willing to become something different spiritually right now? Are you willing to not trust in your riches and are you willing to trust in me? And if so, get rid of it. And then Jesus comes right out of saying, get rid of it, by saying, now, will you take up your cross and follow me? Will you crucify your self-will? What is it right now that the Lord was saying to you, take up your cross? What would be that one thing that Jesus would be saying, that's your cross to crucify. That is what is hindering you in your life. And let's be honest with ourselves and let's be thinking about that. And let's be meditating about that and let's be praying about that and let's be convicted to say, if there is anything separating me from God, I want it to end. And I want to put the Lord first in every aspect of my life. That's what it means to follow Jesus. Tonight, is there anything that we can do to encourage you if you're ready tonight to become a Christian and be immersed into Christ, if you're ready tonight to, to be restored, maybe you know already what that one thing is and you're ready to repent and, and turn away from that. If there's any way that we can help you, let's all be on our way to heaven and let's not trust in anything that's under the sun and let's put all of our trust in the almighty God and then everything that he gives us. If, we're, if, if we have little or a lot, everything he gives us, a five talent or a one talent person, let's use it all in glory to him, trusting him. If we can help you come as we stand, as we sing.